My name is Joe. I'm the associate pastor here at Real Life, and it's uh, my pleasure to be with you once again, second week in a row, and uh, um, to continue on the series that we've been going through, I Am, and um, excited to get into it this morning. Uh, before I do, uh, just uh, want to reiterate, I'm super excited to have uh, our young adults over at our house. Um, it's combining two of my favorite things. Uh, one, eating food. I love to eat food, so we're excited about that, and two, hanging out with people that are way cooler than I am. So um, just, it's going to be a good time. Please come out, sign up online. If you're watching online, we'd love to see you, have you out. It's going to be a great time. Uh, man, God is doing just some amazing, amazing things. It's so, so great to see you all here. Um, it's fun to try to find you seats when, when, you, when you come in and uh, um, just to see, see a, a pretty full house. And um, uh, we're going we're gonna to have a good time this morning. Got a lot of things I want to share with you. A lot of things on my heart to share. Uh, we're going through a series, I Am. We're looking at the I Am statements that Jesus makes in John's gospel, particularly. And uh, we're unpacking these statements and, and looking at how they impact us in um, uh, what meaningful ways that those words that Jesus says, um, uh, how they can apply to us today. And last week, I talked about Jesus' statement, I am the good shepherd. And we unpacked a little bit about why that was important for Jesus to say those words and, and what those people that first heard those words, what they would have felt. Um, and we look back at Ezekiel uh, and the statements that, that he makes about God being their shepherd and how Jesus is onboarding that identity for himself. And then how he carries that forward uh, in John 21 in inviting Peter to be a shepherd alongside him, uh, which in extension invites all of God's people that follow him to, to continue on to be shepherding. And the challenge was last week, uh, who are you going to pastor? Who are you going to shepherd? God has put people in your life uh, uh, to, uh, to shepherd them, to help them. And it's not about being perfect. It's not about having it all put together. We think that sometimes, like, oh, I couldn't shepherd someone. I've got all this drama in my own life. And uh, we need to remember that God loves imperfect triers. Okay? We need to remember that. God loves imperfect triers. And you go all throughout the story of the Bible and you just see over and over again God using imperfect triers. Uh, you can look at every example and, and ask the question, good guy, bad guy. And, and in almost every single instance, you're going to see an example of where they probably weren't a very good person. Um, and yet God still chose to use them. And we need, to, we need to remember that. So the question is, who are you shepherding? And we'll carry that forward a little bit today. But I'm going to look at the uh, statement that Jesus makes in John chapter 11, uh, where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. Before we get into that this morning, let me tell you a story. The story is about a, a, a young boy, about 10 and a half. Uh, and back in uh, 1989, his grandmother gave him uh, a gift. And grandmas are really good at giving gifts that 10-year-olds that like. And in this case, this gift was a Bible. 
what every 10-year-old wants at that age is a Bible from grandma. And um, this kid got this, this Bible from grandma, and he did with it, much like every kid that at this age probably gets a gift like that from grandma. Maybe your grandmas are, you know, you got some cool ones out there. But this, yeah, this kid, he didn't know what to do with it, so he put it on the shelf. Just kind of ignored it and, and put it on the shelf. Um, not really what grandma probably want, wanted this boy to do, but that, that's what he did. He didn't care, and so he put it on the shelf, and there it sat. Over the next few years of his life, he began to meet people and, and make friends as, as you, know, you grow up, and, and that happens, and started falling into a group of friends that weren't the best influence on his life. Um, over the course of the next three years after that, uh, this uh, young man started onboarding certain things into his life that weren't the best things, things like smoking started stealing cigarettes from grocery stores and gas stations just to feed a habit um, that he had. Um, things like started smoking weed um, with uh, his uh, brother uh, and friends um, and started getting into substance abuse. Uh, started going around and um, uh, involving himself in things like theft and, and, and burglary. Used to break into homes and uh, started uh, just for fun, just for the... Um, Fun of it would just find out if people were home and would break into the home and walk through the house and find things to steal and leave. Um, started drinking, uh, would steal liquor from the friends' his parents that had it, and they would just, uh, uh, his group of friends would go around, they'd combine liquor and go to parties. It got so bad at one point that they uh, drank so much at one party that the friends uh, took this young man and um, had, to, had to get him home. And, uh, and instead of dropping them off at his house, dropped them off at the neighbor's house, knocked the door, and, and, and ran off, as, as good best friends do. Um, and uh, the neighbor took the, the young man to, to his house uh, where the dad saw him and took him to the hospital. And they had to pump his stomach, and um, uh, he almost died, uh, blood alcohol poisoning. Um, his kid, over the next five years, uh, went down the exact opposite path that the grandma had hoped that this young man would go down. And um, it got to a point where uh, the mom and dad of this, this man, he's now uh, 15, um, seeing the path that he's going down, decide we need, to, we need to send him away for a little while to maybe create some distance between the life he's, he's choosing um, and the life we would hope for him, and send him over to go see grandma. And while he was with grandma over that summer, um, he ignored any attempt to get to go to church and to be a part of that environment until finally grandma wore him down just long enough that the last week he was there he attended the youth group of the church on a Wednesday night um, and um, it was at that youth group he gave his heart to Jesus surrendered his life to Jesus went home back to grandma's house and um, picked up the Bible that he brought with him for whatever reason uh, to grandma's house and started to read and read all night long until he got to Deuteronomy where he eventually fell asleep. <laughs> you would think it was Leviticus, but it was Deuteronomy. <laughs> what was awakened in him was a hunger and thirst for God and his word. And it's never been quenched since. That's my story. And this is the Bible that was given to me on July 13th, 1989, from my grandmother. This is a picture of us, um, and um, 
My grandmother and grandfather, uh, we, Granny and Namps, as we called them, um, were with Jesus. This was at their 50th uh, wedding anniversary. And um, I'm here today because of, of Granny and Namps. Um, give me a Bible that, that, amen. Thank you. I flipped through this now. I, I haven't picked this up probably in years. It's just been on my shelf at home because I've, I've never gotten rid of it. But I, I almost, it's almost comical to read some of the, the highlights and the notes. I'm like, what was I thinking, you know, back then? And um, just different things that um, stood out to me. Um, What would, what would cause my grandmother to do something like that? To give a Bible to a kid that didn't care. And then for whatever reason, as this kid's life, my life, is heading in a downward spiral, continue to reach out to love and to care, um, what would cause someone to do that? I think when we look at John 11... We see some insights that might bring some clarity to that. And so I want to unpack this morning this amazing story. And oftentimes when we open up the text together, um, I like to like peel back layers and try to get like get nerdy and, you know, we get into, into the text. Um, and, and we'll do a little bit of that. But, but this morning I'm, I'm actually going to do something different. We're going we're gonna to stand and, and, and look at the text with curious eyes. Um, just, we're just going to stay on top, and we're going to look at what observations we can see in this text. This is a little bit of like how to read the Bible, kind of one-on-one stuff. Because um, oftentimes we treat the Bible um, like a transaction that needs to happen. Um, we treat the Bible in, a, in such a way that um, I only open it when I need to get something out of it. Right? And oftentimes, those are in low points of, in our life, which is uh, a, an appropriate response. We're at low points. We should turn to the text, but we often turn to it through the lens of transaction, right? I need to get something out of it to help me out of this place that I'm in. And we find in, like, uh, in, in most kind of Christian circles, when things are good, we don't, we don't enter into the text. We don't read it as well. We don't engage with it. It's always when things are, are bad in our lives. And, um, and we should when things are bad, but we also should when, when things are good. And we don't because oftentimes we don't know how to approach it. We don't know how to read it. We open it up and we're just like, what is this thing that's happening? And I don't know where to start and I don't know how to get through it. And I don't know what's going on. And so there's a couple things that when we read the text, I want to I help you with. Uh, number one, um, when, when we read the text, we need, to, we need to move slowly. Sometimes we just, we're, we read it too quickly and we don't allow it to impact us. This is Jewish meditation literature. And so we should move slowly through it and let the word sit with us. Uh, when we read it, and oftentimes we read it because we're reading a, a plan or we're going through some, some sort of like activity. And so we read it quickly because we know if we don't get to a certain point, then the next day we're going to be behind in our reading. And so, we're, and so it's almost like, again, it's a transaction. I'm doing it to accomplish a thing versus actually letting it penetrate my heart and my mind. So when we read the text, number one, when you read it, you should move slowly. 
Okay? You should move slowly. Number two, when you read the text, when you're going through it slowly, you should never move on in the text if you come to a point where you have a question or a thought. So, so here's my advice. When you read, and sometimes that's one verse, sometimes it's a word, sometimes it's a paragraph, but when you get to a point when you're reading, let's just say when you start uh, somewhere in, in a gospel and you're reading, and you get to a point where you go, well, that's interesting, or like a question comes up in your mind, or you're like, well, I don't know what that means, stop. Sit there. Don't move on until you have reconciled what's going on in your heart there and sometimes that means i don't know what's going on and it means okay i need to stop here and i need to go and research i need to ask somebody i need to in my home group talk about it bring it up so i can move on but work through it slowly and when you come to a point where you have a question or a thought or something's working in your heart don't feel like you have to move on sit there let god's word penetrate your heart in your mind. These are, these are just little tips when, when you're going through the Bible. And, and, these, and the reason why I say this is that we need to learn to read the text with curious eyes. We need to be curious. We need to be asking questions. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this text, and we're going to ask questions. And we're going to look at it just observationally. What's happening? What's going on? And we're going to look at some observations that I've made, two observations that I've made that I think might be helpful for you uh, this morning as it is helpful for me as I've worked through it. So, looking at this, John 11. Now, um, I practiced reading this out loud because I wanted to read the whole thing out loud. It'd take about eight minutes for me to read it just the way that I want to read it with the tone and inflections and the pacing. Um, and I just don't have that much time. So I want you to bear with me. I'm just going to float over the top. Uh, I'm going to uh, retell the story in uh, the JEV version, uh, the Joe elaborated version of the Bible. And, um, but whatever version you got is good to read on your own this week. Um, um, but I just want to move through this story. This is a story about Jesus doing an amazing miracle, raising back to life a good friend of his good friend of his, uh, that dies. Um, and he raises him back to life. Raising of Lazarus. If you've been in church environments for any period of time in your life, you may be familiar with this story. If not, read it because it's amazing. There's so much happening in this chapter alone that it would take us weeks just to unpack it. So let's look at a few observations um, about this. The first thing that you'll notice in John 11 is something that's uh, a lot of people, it just it flies right past us. Um, in this chapter alone, there are nine instances of parenthetical insight, which means the author steps in and interrupts the narrative to give you information about what's happening. That's called a parenthetical insight. So nine different times in this chapter alone, John steps in and explains things to us. To, to the reader, it says, oh, and this is about this. Oh, and, and this and this. And then he goes on in the narrative. And then he steps in and goes, oh, oh, and this and this and this, right? Which is fascinating to me because I find it fascinating as I think of the writing of the text and John is going through the story and for whatever reason, he stops and he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, let me tell you about this. One, uh, one specific instance about this is that right at the beginning when he's talking about Mary and Martha and he's introducing that they send a letter to Jesus talking about their brother's sick and they want Jesus to come and heal him. And uh, Mark stops in that story and he says, oh, yeah, this is the same Mary that anointed Jesus uh, with oil, with her hair. That's, that's the same one. 
And we go, well, that's interesting. Now, if you're just reading John's gospel alone, what's interesting about that is that that story that John tells you about, saying this is the same person, um, doesn't happen until the next chapter. So he's, he's giving you information about an event that he hasn't actually told you about yet. So you go, well, what, what's going on there? Right? And most scholars, when they, when they look at, at that, um, they assume a, a couple things. Number one, they assume that, that this story would have been so well known that these people were prominent figures in early Christianity. There's just everybody, if you're a Christian, you were told this story. And so John just kind of says, oh yeah, it's the same, same people that you know about, right? And he's just doing that. Um, that's one explanation. The other explanation is that maybe John assumes that the readers of his gospel would have been familiar with the other gospels that were written. And so he just assumes that you know about that story because you've read the other accounts of it in, in other gospels by time John writes his. Um, so that's fascinating. So when you're reading with curious eyes, these things pop up. And you're going to go, well, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's interesting. So we also see, as you move through this, that the main thrust of the narrative, Jesus was asked to do something, something important, right? So right at the gate, um, he gets a letter. Hey, Lazarus is sick. Um, Jesus, at this point in his life, is well known as a miracle worker. People would have known this about Jesus. He had healed people already. And so it was common, like they would have went, yeah, let's get Jesus over here. Lazarus is sick. Um, and um, so he'll come and heal him. Um, so uh, Jesus has to do something. Uh, Jesus takes us time, right? So the text tells us it takes two days. Two days. He goes, yeah, I know but we're going to camp out here for a little bit. And he has an exchange with his disciples about what's going on, and, and they're talking about Lazarus, and um, you get another parenthetical insight when Jesus says um, he's only sleeping, and uh, the disciples were confused, and John goes, that's because the disciples, you know, thought sleep, but Jesus was actually talking, saying that, you know, his death. And so, like, you get this kind of explanation that happens. So you get this, Jesus goes, we're going to take two days to, to deal with this, uh, so Jesus takes his time. Um, you also see upon his arrival, Jesus is told he missed his opportunity. So he eventually goes in the story and he shows up and they greet him and they're like, you're too late. You missed it. You missed it. He died. If you'd gotten here sooner, Jesus, like you could, you could have done something. You've healed tons of people, but now he's dead and we've never seen you raise the dead. There's no content, context for that. So they just think you've missed, you've missed your opportunity, right? No, sorry, you're too late, Jesus. If you'd only gotten here sooner. Jesus then launches into his statement. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. That whoever believes in me will not die, but will live forever. And then he asks, do you believe this? And then you get this statement that's responded back, yes, Believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. This is the second time that we, we get this. Peter was the first one to do it. When Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? He says, I believe you're the Christ. Christ is, is not a surname, right? It's not Jesus Christ, like, you know, Mary and Joseph Christ. Christ is a title, okay? Christ is a title that's given, uh, meaning a king, meaning he is the promised king that's going to come and bring a restoration to Israel. So, um, so the statement is made, you are the, Christ. You're the one that's coming to rescue us. Um, and, um, and so uh, uh, Jesus then 
um, goes on to see uh, where Lazarus is at, and he sees the mourning and the hurting and the brokenness, and he sits in that moment with them. He sits in the hurting, he sits in the brokenness, and we get the shortest verse, right? For all the Bible trivia, the shortest verse in the Bible Jesus wept. He's moved. He's emotionally connected to the moment and the environment. Which is interesting because you know Jesus knows what's going to happen. Right? He has a plan. He knew what he was going to do. But he still sat emotionally in the moment. Right? We can learn something from that. Um, and then lastly, uh, you know, he resurrects Jesus, sits with the, the others. Just, there's still people around doubting, like, oh, it's too late. Um, you know, oh, you know, he says, roll the stone away. They're like, don't do that. He's going he's gonna to smell. It's going to be really bad. The decay process has already started. He says, no, don't worry about that. Calls out Lazarus um, and uh, uh, brings him back to life. And then uh, you get a story about the religious leaders, and um, they have a problem with this. Uh, they're, they're worried. They're scared. They're scared about all the people that are going to start believing in Jesus, and that's going to cause the Roman Empire to get all worked up, That like there's a big movement happening, and then the Roman Empire is going to come in, and they're going to squash the revolt, right, and wipe out people. And so there's this big worry uh, that goes on. It causes fear and anxiety in the people. And so... As you read through the text, right, this is what we're talking about. You move slow. So as this week, when I challenge, like, go home and read this. Stay all week in, in John 11 and find as many questions as you can ask about this text. Work through it with curious hearts and minds and thoughts. And, and, uh, and as you do, lots of different observations are going to come up. Here are two observations I've made when reading this text. Number one, Jesus is never late. Number two, Jesus is inviting us into truth and trust. The reality that Jesus is never late and he's inviting us into truth and trust. Remember the question that I asked about my grandmother. What would cause my grandmother to act in the way that she did? Because she believed the truth of the gospel and the impact it can make on someone's life. And she trusted him that it would, even when all signs pointed that it wasn't going to. She knew that Jesus was never going to be late in my life. She trusted that. And I want to invite you into those realities this morning. So let's start with Jesus is never late. The reality that Jesus is never late. Have you ever asked anything of Jesus and it didn't happen? If you ever wanted God to come in a mighty way and it didn't? Have you ever longed for something, deliverance, uh, freedom, and, and it was nowhere to be seen? Can you imagine Mary and Martha as they're, they know Jesus has the power and the ability to, to heal the sick? He's done it. And they're like, and, and it's not like some r random connection, like they're friends. They're close, close friends. And so they would expect Jesus, be, we're friends. Of course you're going to come and heal your buddy Lazarus. But he doesn't come. Can you imagine the emotional, like, and then the moment he dies? The frustration that they must have had? There's always grief, suffering, pain, and trauma 
that we deal with all throughout our life that we try to invite Jesus into to help us through it or to answer those calls. And the interesting thing about God is that he doesn't remove emotion from us. He actually enters into the pain and suffering with us. In verse 33, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the people who had come with her weeping, he was intensely moved in spirit and greatly distressed. He was moved when he saw the despair and the weeping. He was moved. And it says, where have you laid him? And they said, come, let us show you. And then we get the Jesus wept. Jesus was in the moment with them. In the midst of suffering, Jesus sits with you and invites you to trust him. He sits with you. I remember when my son was learning to ride his bike. I mean, I'm fam, parents in here that have kids, it's like a traumatic experience. Let's just be honest, right? Like, we're, you're running along, they're like, don't let go, Dad, don't let go. And then you, in your mind as a parent, you're like, if I let go, am I going to traumatize my son? Like, he trusts. And I'm like, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to go. I know I'm going to let go. Why am I telling him I'm not going to let go? I am going to let go, but I got to tell him I won't let go. So I'm like, come on, come on. And then you let go. And my son, I mean, he would crash and burn. And I remember, you know, when he would, he would hit, we were at the school behind our house. We teach him, and, and, he, and he couldn't stop. He didn't know how to stop. And he hit a curb, and he crashed and burned, and he was crying. And he'd scuffed his, his arm and his leg. And I could have done something in that moment. Well, I could have walked over to my son, and I said, stop crying. Get up. Get up. Go again. Stop crying. This isn't helping. My son, he was crying. And yes, maybe for some of the injuries, but, but maybe even more because he, he was struggling to figure it out. And he wanted to succeed, but he wasn't. And it was, and it was frustrating to him that why he couldn't figure it out. So I sat with him, sat with him and I said Michael it's okay it's hard it's hard and it's okay to be upset it's frustrating when you can't do something that you want to do son do you trust me yeah dad I trust you okay you'll get it you'll figure it out you'll you'll figure it out do you trust me yeah dad okay let's get back on the bike dad I don't want to crash again you may crash again but eventually you're going to get it. I'm here with you. I've not given up on you. You're going to get it. And eventually, he's riding around like this around the park behind our house. Can't get off the bike. Loves it. Yeah, he crashed, and it was hard. But just like, like God comes down with us, and he sits down, and he goes, it's going to be okay. I'm here. But God, I don't know what's going on. This is too hard. Yeah, it is hard. Man, it is hard, isn't it? Yeah. Do you trust me? Let's go. Let's get back up. Come on. Right? He invites us into that reality. There's some of you that say, they're hearing me say, Jesus is never late. And you struggle with that because you're in the midst of that gap right now where you're wondering, I... 
You even said, I think you are late. I think you've missed it, God. I think you've missed the opportunity to do what I think you could have done. Jesus is never late. I often say to those who are struggling with the text, right? They're, they're reading the Bible, they're struggling with the text. And I go, Joe, this is, I say, just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean there isn't an answer. And we need to be okay with that reality, right? When I'm struggling with questions in the text, just because I don't know the answer doesn't mean there isn't an answer. Just because I don't see where God's moving and acting doesn't mean he's not moving and acting. Jesus is never late. Jesus is never late. And here's the reality about all of this. And you've heard us say this before, maybe in, in times past, but there's a part that I play, there's a part that other people play, and there's a part that God's play, God plays. And I will never become more frustrated in life than when I try to play other people's parts. And that's the reality. So I have to live in the reality. There's a part that I play, and I need to trust God, right? Because he's never late. He's never late. The other reality I find in this story is that we are invited into truth and trust. Jesus makes the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even if he dies. This is a two-part statement here. I am the resurrection and the life is the truth that whoever believes in me will not die but will live is trust. Do I trust that he is the resurrection and the truth? And this is a two-part reality that we're invited into. The truth. Will you believe the truth that God says or will you hold on to the lies that the enemy tells you? There was a sermon series that we did recently uh, called Win Your War. And it was about dealing with all the, like, the mental um, uh, war that we deal with in our mind. And we walk through the reality of, like, essentially, this is, this, that was a sermon series about will you let go of the lies the enemy tells you and embrace the truth that God tells you? Will you win that war? The truth, because there's lies all the time being told, told to us and that we tell ourselves. I'm not good enough. No one wants me. No one sees me. No one cares about me. And the enemy wants to fuel those things in your life. Those are lies. The truth is that God sees you, that God loves you, that God is with you. He's never left you. Will you believe that truth? We called it choose, capture, direct, renew, and enter. These are these statements that we choose to believe the truth. We capture the lies that the enemy tells us. We redirect our thinking. We renew ourselves by, through scripture, and we enter into that reality, walking it out every day. This is how we win the war, and I encourage you to go back. It's in, on our website, sermon series, Win Your War. If this is an area of your life where you struggle with the truth of what God's speaking into your life. But will you believe that truth? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he says to her, do you believe this? And now you have a choice. Will I believe it? Do I believe it? And once we say yes to that question, then we move into trust. Will I trust it? It's one thing to intellectually go, well, yeah, I believe it, but do I trust it? And does my life reflect that trust? Will you trust what he says? Will you trust that he will be faithful to deliver? 
And what's interesting is the resurrection, what we're about to celebrate in three weeks, is the, is the vindicate, is the validation of like all that Jesus said. Now that he is resurrected, he says, you can trust me because I have the power over death. Nothing can stop my love for you. The resurrection serves as proof that Jesus can deliver on what he says. Do you trust that? You trust that. And here's the thing. We mistake, like, we, we, want, we want clarity before we have trust. You realize that? We do this sometimes. We want clarity. God, I gotta see, and then I'll trust you. But do you realize Jesus never promises us clarity? He only says, trust me. When the disciples were misunderstanding Jesus, and he's like, hey, I'm gonna die, and I'm gonna resurrect. And they're like, oh, I don't know. And he's like, I'm gonna go away. And they're like, what's going on? Jesus says to them, trust God, trust also in me. He invites us into trust. Clarity comes on the other side of trust. We've inverted it. We want the opposite. We want clarity, then we'll trust. Jesus says, no. Clarity comes on the other side of trust. When you've gone through what you've gone through, you look back and you go, oh, God was there. God has been there the whole time. And I just didn't, I didn't see it. You want clarity, but God says, no, you gotta trust me. And it's after trusting him on the other side of trust that we see and we get clarity. This reminds me of a story um, and I got permission to tell this story. It happened back in January at our winter camp with our youth group. Um, and this amazing experience that happened to one of our teenagers. Um, uh, so what, what happened was at winter camp, I started the first night. I had all these post-it, big post-it, sticky white you know, papers all around the cabin. And I had markers everywhere. And the first service, at the end of the first service, I said to the students, I said, I want you to take a marker. And I want you to write on, the, on one of these papers anywhere, wherever you want to go, I want you to write down what you want from God this weekend. What do you want from God this weekend? All the students got up and they started writing down. This is what one student wrote. Are you even there? Why haven't I heard from you? Students, and I have all, all of these up everywhere and they they stayed up all weekend long and i would walk around and i would see these different statements and this isn't the only statement that was like this students going god where are you god i i, I don't you know my life is whatever and and it's just you know i could go into detail but i won't um but um so we went through the the weekend at winter camp and the last night of the weekend god moved powerfully he showed up he said here i come boom and there was a moment in the night when god showed up that i looked around and every i mean just students sobbing the presence of god just showed up and after that moment at winter camp um when we kind of came out of that moment um, started talking with the students. I asked them, I said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your journals and I want you to write down exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. Because there's coming a day where you're gonna feel like God's not around and I want you to be able to go back to the moment where you know he was. Then I said, I want you to go back to the area 
in the cabin where you wrote down your question and I want to write you I want you to write down what God said to you and this is what this student wrote he was here he was always there I don't need to hear from him always but I did last night he told me he was happy I was finally home truth and trust we're invited into trusting Jesus and oftentimes on the other side of trust we have clarity I'm so proud of this student and this next step that this student took in their relationship with Jesus because they chose to trust truth and trust Jesus is never late he's inviting us into truth and trust so what next steps can we take to live that reality out? Because it's easier said than done. It can be difficult to do this, right? Jesus is never late. Yeah, right, Joe, that's, that's hard, right? Truth and trust. Okay, Joe, yeah, that's hard. Life is hard. So how do I actually embrace this in my life? There's a few ways I want to invite you into. Number one, you should not be walking life alone. You should be in relationship with people, right? This is not a battle, a fight. The, the church, the people of God, it's never meant to be privatized. It was always communal, in relationship. And I want to encourage you to get connected into real relationships. Get connected into real relationships. Find a home group. I talked to three people this morning looking for home groups, gave them home group cards. Get connected to home groups. Get connected to a men's and women's group where you can be around a group of people that can share life with you and share uh, struggles and, and highs and lows and encourage you and remind you that Jesus is never late and remind you to embrace truth and trust. You need, we need each other. We need each other. And listen, if there's not a home group that's close to you that meets a need, look, I invite you, we need home group leaders. We'd, maybe God's calling you to step out and to be a leader for people that need a place to belong and to be. But get connected into relationships. Then secondly, I would, I would invite you into this reality that we pay it forward. In that... Who are you investing into and pastoring like my grandmother did for me? Who are you, how are you living out your, your Jesus is never late, truth and trust by actually embracing that and, and embodying that in the lives of other people? Who are, you, who are you shepherding? Who are you pastoring? Who are you helping through in your life that looks at, looks at Jesus and says, I think Jesus is too late? Who are you shepherding? Who are you sitting with as they go through their difficult time? Who are you inviting to Easter? Who are you praying for? It's an opportunity to bring people. Who are you going to take Justin up on and, and, and take to lunch? What other church does that? Here, here are cards to go take some. We, we believe in reaching people so much, we'll actually pay for your lunch to go take them to lunch. Who you take, are you going to take them up on that? Who has God put in your life? Who are you going to invite to see that Jesus is never late and he's inviting us into truth and trust? So my take home this morning, what I want to leave you with 
is just a few things as we reflect back on these thoughts. And again, I encourage you to go back. I, I didn't read a lot of text this morning, which is unlike me. <laughs> um, love reading the text. But for the sake of our time and, and, and what God's put on my heart, I just hope that's okay. Go home and read it and see these instances and how, how Jesus is never late. God inviting us into truth and trust works itself out in John 11. But here's a few things about this. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, in me will live even if he dies. So number one, Jesus is never late. Our job is to keep our eyes on Jesus and play the part he asks us to play. Play the part he asks us to play. Part I play, there's the part people play, there's a part that God plays. I will never become more frustrated when I try to play other people's parts. So play your part. Jesus is never late, so just play your part. Right? Let him show up when he needs to show up. Right? Stop worrying about, oh, they just wish they would stop doing what they're doing and embrace. God will play his part. And there's a part that they have to play. Just keep playing your part. Just keep playing your part. Be faithful. My grandmother loved me. She knew what I was doing. She knew the kind of life I was living. She loved me so much, unconditionally. Play your part. Jesus offers us truth. Will you let go of the lies the enemy tells you and embrace the truth of Jesus? Are there lies that you've been telling yourself that you sit in that you don't let go of? Will you embrace the truth that Jesus invites us into? Well, lastly, Jesus is inviting us to trust him. Do you? Do you? Do you tend to take control of the things in your life? Do you actually trust him? We're going to move into a, our time of communion. And um, we have our um, ushers coming up. And uh, they're available. They're going to work their way back. Stephanie, I'm going to grab one from you. Thank you. And um, if you didn't grab communion on your way in, you'd like to participate. As they work their way back, you can just uh, w raise your hand and uh, you can go ahead now and move your way back and they'll, they'll get you a communion if you get their attention. Um, we're going to take a moment of reflection and um, I want to invite you during this time where before we take communion together, uh, to think through like the implications of truth and trust in your life. Do you believe the truth that Jesus offers? Do you trust him? And if not, what next steps do you need to take to enter into that? If you're not sure what those next steps are, I invite you to come talk to me, Justin, after service. We'd love to walk alongside you as you're working out what it means to live out truth and trust with Jesus. Let's take a moment and let God speak to us this morning about these things.